For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, meet photographer Jade Beal and a devoted couple who decided to bear it all for her camera and a new book. I'll talk with Ron Campbell, a retired animator who worked on more cartoons than I'd ever have time to tell you about, from Scooby-Doo to the Smurfs to Yellow Submarine. And StoryCorps' One Small Step brings us a married couple who's looking for a better way to bridge their political divide. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Tucson-based photographer Jade Beale describes herself as a troublemaker because she believes passionately that everyone has the right to feel beautiful. She's currently creating a book of mostly nude photographs of senior citizens to be called Wise Bodies, Beautiful Elders. She intends for it to include people from all over the world, but she started here in Tucson by asking couple Jerry and Darwin Hall to bear their bodies and their love. So which of you would like to tell me how you met? We met at church. And that was that? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of story behind that, but that was in 1994, and it's now, what is it, 2019? Mm -hmm. That was a lot of years ago. Yeah. Right. Uh, Darwin, what do you remember about meeting Jerry? She was a great speaker and very personable. I really liked her. But at the time, I was married, and I had my little two-year-old son with me, and so... Hi, how are you? Okay. (laughs) But later you had a different situation and an opportunity for romance bloomed? Absolutely. And it's been blooming ever since. (laughs) So how did news of Jade Beale's project come to you? And what kind of a discussion did you have when you were making the decision to take part? She texted us. I think that's what happened. You'd done a um, photo shoot with Jade before that. The first one I didn't take off all my clothes. <laughs> you had to work <laughs> up to that? Because I was shy. I had to work yeah. up to that. But the idea was to work on body image and body positive image because I'd had images about my body my whole life. I was always a little on the chunky side. And my mother was always on my case to lose weight. I'll never find a man and all that stuff. She was so bad that when my sister was coming up behind me, she's seven years younger, my mother wouldn't let her in a family picture because she was overweight. So if I have problems with my body image, that's where it comes from. And I always thought I was ugly. And I wasn't ugly. As I look back at the pictures, I wasn't ugly. So working on that issue when we first went to uh, get our pictures taken... And then the second time I came back, I think I was a little better about it. (laughs) And then after she called us or texted us or invited us to model for her for a photo shoot that was about elder bodies, I said yes. Well, I said, okay. (laughs) Now, I too have body images. Always as a kid growing up, I always thought I was really, really overweight. I've got boobs, you know, and that's that something that most men don't have. 
And so I've always been self-conscious about that. And you're a very tall gentleman. And very tall, yeah. Yeah. So um, doing this with Jade, I've known Jade since she was very young, actually, and, and was reacquainted with her with this project. Now, I thought this was a local project. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk to Jade about that, but it seems like she's got a more global focus for this. It, it has mushroomed. That picture, that one picture of us that went viral, there were like millions and millions of people around the world who saw that picture, and I'm like, Ugh. and at first that was very scary, but then I started reading the comments that people made about about the picture, and they made me cry because people were like so blown away. They they cried because because we'd had the courage, and they cried because obviously we were in love, and we were in our seventies, and they saw possibilities for themselves that they had given up on. Jade Beale, as the photographer behind this, uh, explained to us why you wanted to work in this space. Why was this narrative appealing to you? I started photographing the way I do because. Too many of us have lived most of our lives hating our bodies, and it's a waste of time. Bodies are sacred. Like, we came from nothing, and here are these gorgeous bodies, and then we're trained to believe that they're somehow shameful and gross and should be hidden. So when I did my first project with mothers, I was a new mother myself. I dealt with eating disorders my whole life since I was 10 years old, and I was done. I was done done hating myself. So I took these photos of the fattest I'd ever been and I put them on Facebook and I called them beautiful and it broke the internet. It was seven years ago and it grows. Body positivity has grown so much. It's it, At first it was very exclusive and then everyone's like, hey, I want my voice. I want, I want to be heard. I want to be seen. And after I published my book, self-published, I asked people on the Kickstarter, what, what else should I turn my attention to? What do you want to see? And the vast majority said, I want to see elders. I want to know what it's like to grow old, free from shame. The $191.7 billion anti-aging beauty industry attacks us every day, telling us we're not enough. You have experience shooting nudes. So what is important to you as a photographer to put your subjects at ease, to allow them to relax in that environment? Because, you know, we're talking about body image and, 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 and how we feel about ourselves. And then we're talking about the intense scrutiny of the camera. Most of my clients arrived to my studio um, trembling. Just a, a couple of weeks ago, a woman was at the front of my door in my studio and I opened the door and she was in tears and it was a Sunday. And she said, I've been crying since Friday. I'm so scared to do this. And I was like, but you're here. That is so awesome. Let's do this. <laughs> she left elated, smiling. To be seen fully without hiding anything is, it seems so like, oh yeah, whatever. But it's not. Then I get to witness this miracle that came to be. And then the years that has shaped it all the pain and all the beauty that has created wrinkles and different things that happen in our bodies. And it's, it's no one is the same. So every time I get a brand new masterpiece to photograph, and that is so delicious to me. So only one out of my elders project, the only one woman has arrived, Carmeline. She's in her late 70s and I never met her before. She knocks on my door, I open, and she's just smiling. She's like, wait until you see this body. <laughs> and she was wearing a moo moo and she walked in, closed my door and stripped off that moo and she's like, look at this. <laughs> and I was like, yes. 
we must reclaim the lost tradition of honoring and revering our elders. It's a privilege denied to many. And so I hope to photograph over a hundred people and I'm gonna print this gorgeous book with beautiful pages and everyone that owns this book is basically a rad human. <laughs> so there's no fear, Jerry. They are gonna look at this with tears in their eyes and hopes in their hearts that actually I wish, I hope, I pray that I get to live as long as the two of you in love. Well, I hope you do too. Yes. My guests were photographer Jade Beal and her models, Jerry and Darwin Hall. You can see a preview of Wise Bodies, Beautiful Elders at jadebeal.com. The Beatles may not have been too crazy about the first cartoon series that featured their likenesses. It ran on ABC TV starting in 1965. But they're on the record as having loved Yellow Submarine, the feature film released in 1968. An artist who made major contributions to both is Ron Campbell. He also worked on thousands of individual cartoons starring Yogi Bear, Crazy Cat, Captain Caveman, The Flintstones, The Jetsons, The Smurfs, and DuckTales, just to name a few. Campbell is originally from Australia, but he chose to retire in Arizona. Now he gives talks about his fascinating career, and better still, he continues to draw and paint the characters that made Saturday mornings the place to be for generations of kids. It turns out, I've been enjoying Ron Campbell's animated work for basically my entire life. Well, uh, as a child, uh, all the neighborhood children would go to the movie theaters, the local movie theaters, uh, on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, uh, the programming for the movie theater would be turned over uh, for children's entertainment. So there would be a Hopalong Cassidy movie as the main feature, let us say, or a Roy Rogers or something. Before the main feature began, there would be a lot of shorts, uh, Rocket Man and Superman and Batman and stuff. Amongst them would be cartoons. And when I was a seven or eight-year-old, I'd be watching those cartoons and I believe that they were real characters. I remember thinking, I've been to the zoo. I haven't seen a cat like that or a mouse like that. And I was mystified by it. <laughs> and, and I told my great-grandmother about it. And she said, Ronnie, they're just drawings. And that was like a memorable moment in my life. It went, whoom, like an epiphany, a childish epiphany. You mean I can do drawings that can come alive? And uh, just as I was competent as an artist, competent enough, television had come to Australia, and for the first time, it was possible to earn a living making television cut, uh, cartoon commercials. And I was able to strut around Sydney uh, bragging that I knew how to make cartoon advertisements, and I began to earn a living doing precisely that as a self-taught uh, animator. Uh, and then American companies came around looking for production help, and there I was, you know, so... Yeah, and that's how you ended up at Hanna-Barbera. Well, I was only at Hanna-Barbera for the first year I was in America, and after that I, I was always my own studio... All through the 70s, I had my own TV show, The Big Blue Marble. 
Yeah, I remember that show fondly. Well, I think oh, most. Yeah. yeah, I think most yeah. American kids who grew up in the '70s remember that one. Won a Peabody for that, and Emmy. So it was a very popular show. I'm very proud of that show. Let's do just a little bit of rapid fire, where I will name a couple of of uh, things from your resume, and we'll just get a couple of sentences from you in reaction. Okay. Okay. Yogi Bear. He really became the grand old bear of animation, didn't he? Yes. Well, I I worked on storyboards on that uh, show. I barely remembered it, as a matter of fact. It was so long ago. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people listening to this might barely remember Yogi Bear. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, so as a stylistic choice, which would you prefer to work on or to watch, the Flintstones or the Jetsons? Neither. <laughs> well, that's honest. Yeah, impossible to differentiate. Both of those shows, the main characters were designed by Iwo Takamoto, who was one of the finest artists or most skillful draftsmen I ever, ever knew. Um, he would go to um, pitching a new television show to the networks with Joe Barbera, I'm told, and uh, the clients would look at the characters and say, no, no, I, I think this should have a bigger nose or whatever, and uh, Iwo would rush into another room and do a drawing based on the suggestions of the customers and come out and it was always perfect and beautiful. He was an extraordinary artist. Yes, very, very influential. Can you think of a character that you worked on for any period of time that you really wished you could have redesigned? Redesigned? Goodness, no. That's a strange question that would give me pause. Hmm. Uh, A character I didn't like the design of. Um, gosh, the the character designs were always so carefully crafted. Mm-hmm. By and large, I'd have to say most of the characters that I worked with, well, all of them really, were perfect. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever know Alex Toth? Yes, I know him very well. Alex was a great, uh, uh, he, he was very good at, 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 at graphic compositions. Uh, he was terrific at uh, character design. He was a fabulous artist. I find that a lot of my favorite character designs, if I look into it, I, they began with Toth uh, designing them. Oh, really? I personally did not like working on um, superhero kind of shows. As a child, I loved them, adored them. But um, in my career, I really didn't like working on them very much. Well. I preferred the softer humorous, funny, smurf kindness kind of thing. Nice fellas, you know. (laughs) Well, then what kind of an opportunity was working on the Beatles cartoon for you? When I was in Australia, um, and Al Brodax asked me to direct the Beatles TV show, that was my first really uh, heavy responsibility. Uh, I was responsible for who to hire, how many people to hire, how many people to assign to every stage of production, responsible for the budgets, responsible for the storyboarding. And uh, New York sent me a script and a voice track and the music track of the Beatles music, and I sent them a finished film. It had to be delivered exactly on time, if it wasn't delivered exactly on time, uh, the network would have nothing to show that morning. 
that Saturday morning. So it was a cutthroat thing, you know. If you didn't deliver, you were dead, you know. Well, even today, it seems like the Beatles are one of your favorite subjects. Well, yes. Um, in my retirement, I decided to do paintings based on the television shows that I've been involved with. Some of the biggest sellers of my paintings are based on the Beatles television cartoon show and the Yellow Submarine. That's true. Uh, the unexpected pleasures I get from talking to the people who come to the show, and, and when somebody buys a painting, I do a certificate of authenticity for them where I do an original drawing right there in front of them. And for some reason, people have an enormous uh, interest and pleasure in seeing a blank sheet of paper turn into a drawing of their favorite cartoon character, you know. It's a lot of fun. And when they do buy a painting one year, a couple of years later, they're asking me to, to buy another <laughs> one, you know. They're addictive, just like the cartoons themselves. Yeah, people just love cartoons, you know. And, and of course, one of the pleasures they get out of having it on their wall is every time they walk into the room, they tell me, they break out into a smile. My guest was artist Ron Campbell. He now travels the U.S. presenting shows of his paintings and doing drawings for fans. You can find his schedule and see samples of his fine art creations at BeatlesCartoonArtShow.com. The StoryCorps initiative One Small Step was created in response to the polarization and partisanship that dominates the national conversation about politics and social issues. It's an attempt to find common ground and raise awareness of people's similarities instead of their differences. NPR 89.1 was one of six radio stations across the country chosen to participate, inviting locals to have their conversations preserved in the American Folk Life Center at the Library of Congress. Here's a sample from a One Small Step recording made in Tucson between spouses Hillary and Michael Van Alsberg. As we'll hear, sharing their often divided political opinions can be difficult in a blended family with six teenage children. So how would you summarize how we, uh, we handle it when we have a difference, when we're talking about something? It depends on the difference. Sometimes <laughs> it gets heated and we will actually um, leave the room. And there's been times in the past where doors were slammed. And I would say that the disputes that we have are political frequently we don't fight a lot i mean we don't argue a lot right we're but on the same page usually if we argue i would say that it, it's only about this it's I, almost sure. always about this yeah. yeah why why do you think that is i don't know i think some of it is is um the conversations can get tense and um i think i can be sometimes i can be condescending and antagonistic just to be honest I don't know that I interpret it that way usually. I think what I really feel sometimes is that you like to be devil's advocate and you will throw out inflammatory things just to see what a good conversation could come out of it. And if it's just you and I, I can recognize that's what you're doing and say, okay, knock it off. I know you don't really feel that way. But if you're saying it in a group context or in front of the kids and in the family setting, I have felt that I have to make sure that the kids know he doesn't really think that. He's not really saying that. He's trying to get us to debate and talk. And that gets lost sometimes. And, and I probably am a little overzealous in trying to make sure they know that you aren't saying those things because you really believe them. You're just trying to get us to talk about things. And I agree I do that. Yeah. To try to create conversation or make some sort of a point. 
And just so so it's clear, I think, I'm right and you're left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say you're right and I'm wrong. Uh, well, <laughs> that too sometimes. And I think that even just saying that is very simplified. I think that that is a very simplified way to look at it. I think that when people talk about political views or political standpoints or political parties or positions, very often those are polarizing. And so you you can say, oh, I'm, I'm this or I'm that, whatever it may be. But when you actually stop and talk about the issues, when we actually stop and talk about a particular issue that affects our life or affects our community or affects the people that, that we can see it happening to, we almost always agree and it doesn't have anything to do with the party. I think that my frustration with sort of the political landscape that we're, we're living in right now and that we're raising children in is that there is no longer dialogue or respectful conversation. It's so rare to find. And, and what is frustrating to me and scares me is that that's what gets all the attention. The inflammatory language, the, the incendiary um, distractions divert from there's real work to be done. There's really important issues that need to be resolved. To me, it's, it's very frustrating to feel like the only thing that's getting attention and policy is actually being made from the extremes on either side. Do you feel like we typically agree when it actually comes down to the issues? Yes. I think that we agree more than we disagree. Probably, I would say it's probably 80-20 or 90-10. And I think that may be true in the world. I just think that the extremes have taken over the conversation. And mm-hmm. we had that interesting conversation with our daughter this morning about, um, we told her what we were doing today, and she had an interesting comment about it. Um, what was her comment? Uh, along the lines of, um, we promote the children to have um, an open mind and to do whatever they want politically. If they want to go to a political rally or go do a march or whatever, that's great. She said, but when you and I talk about political stuff, it can frequently get heated and they just leave the room. Right. <laughs> Exactly and we have an right. argument about it. <laughs> she gave us a B. Yeah, we we think we're B, so yeah. proud of ourselves for being uh, good and diplomatic and encouraging them to have differing v- viewpoints and making sure that they uh, that they know that they're supported. And she said, oh, yeah, you do that. But we don't want to listen to you guys talk about it. I mean, geez, that was fabulous. Do you think that it gets heated fast because you get emotional about it? Or do you think it <laughs> gets heated fast because I'm doing the devil's advocate thing or oh i think it's both i don't think it's it's fair for me to i mean i didn't mean to imply it's only because you're a devil advocate i think that i get very passionate and i get very enthusiastic about things and i will certainly advocate loudly and with passion about things that i think need to have dialogue around and need to have us address and and i do try to change your mind if it's a thing that I really, really care about, I, I think that I spend a, a good portion of the arguing arguing that we do about politics to get you to see my side of the, 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 the argument. That's interesting because I feel like I don't ever try to change your mind about something, but that I just want to give you um, information that I feel is relevant, like fact-based information that I think is, you know, this is, this is the facts about something statistically. And um, sometimes we disagree on what is factual. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. It's alternative facts. Mm, exactly. <laughs> <It's fake news. laughs> 
I think that what scares me about the world that our kids are inheriting is that they are walking into a minefield of issues and concerns that are not being discussed in a way that is productive. You've got social media that's really influencing their conversation and and what they're hearing and what they're learning. And, And it's important to me that we find ways to get them to question what they hear and what they're reading and what they're seeing on the, you know, on whatever their, you know, news source is, that is that really true? And how do you feel about it? And is it being shared because it's incendiary or because it's, it's actually what happened? I see your face. What do you think? I I think I'm having a little bit of an epiphany moment right now. I love that. What is it? You just made a comment that our children are seeing what's going on in the world and that there's no civil discourse when it comes to certain issues. What are we modeling for them? Yes. That's That's problematic. That's why we're here. (laughs) We shouldn't model that. So you and I need to, to get a lot better at having heated political conversations where neither one of us gets emotional or makes the kids uncomfortable because they're so they see it out there in the world. There's no middle ground in that it's all black and white. Right. And if they see us have conversations like that and they leave the room, they're, that's their exposure to it. They don't hear the, the closure part of it. They don't hear the, well, I don't feel that way. I just wanted to hear, you know, or have the dialogue or have the, you, you like the kind of the, the, the debate. And it's not just you, it's me too. I mean, I think that we need to work on making sure that they recognize that you can disagree with someone and you can differ on what the issue is, but you still can come together with respect and kindness for the fact that you're entitled to your opinion and I'm entitled to my opinion and there's probably room in the middle. And they don't see the, the end of our conversation. Oh, yeah. When, when it's like, yep, you have your opinion, I have mine, and, and I give you a kiss and hug and it's all, everything's fine. They don't see that part because they left the room by that point and they just see mom and dad are having an argument about gun control or something like that. And you know what I mean? And that's and it's not going well or whatever. Well, I guess that I can I can improve in the bomb drop <laughs> of trying to take a position I don't even believe in. Maybe if I say I'm taking a position I don't necessarily believe in, but I'm going to try to argue that position. But I got to say, and what you had said at the beginning is that I think um, you get you get very emotional I about do. stuff. I do. Thanks to Michael and Hilary von Alsberg for participating in One Small Step, a program designed by StoryCorps. You can find samples of more One Small Step conversations at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's news director is Andrea Kelly. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.